0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word...
1: And so, to the person that's spiritually dead, they need to be born again, that they can have spiritual life. It also comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you get something from the message today, everything you need comes through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. Everything you need in every situation... Every day for the rest of eternity is going to come from your faith in the finished work of Jesus, that He died for your sins, that He was buried, and that three days later He rose from the grave, conquering sin, death, and Satan for you and for me.
0: Jesus is the strong rock on which you can depend. Your confidence, as you learn from today's message, comes from the finished work of Jesus. Pastor Bill encourages you that everything you need in this life comes from the source, Jesus. Jesus. All things were created through him, by him, and for him. Jesus is your source for everything that you need. Pastor Bill urges you to come to him through prayer for whatever you're in need of. He will equip and empower you to live a fruitful life in him. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Colossians chapter 2 as he begins his message, Deceivers, Cheaters, and Believers.
1: So we're going to cover Colossians 2 verses 11 through 23. The title is Deceivers, Cheaters, and Believers, part two. So uh, last would have been part one, Deceivers, Cheaters, and Believers. I'll explain what that is. Y'all are like, what What kind of church are we? As we look at the, the wording that Paul uses through the chapter, he's warning them, right? He says things like, let no one cheat you. Last week he said in verse four, now this I say, least anyone should deceive you. And throughout this chapter in particular, he uses that kind of phrases. And he says, today, we'll look at where he says, let no one judge you. Verse 18, he's going to say, let no one cheat you. This is what's going on. I want to just lay this foundation. The believers in Colossians have something that's valuable and significant that was given to them by God. It is their salvation, right? God has given them salvation. They believed in Jesus. Their sins have been forgiven. You guys know salvation is a gift. It is the greatest gift ever given. There's nothing that you'll ever receive more significant, more valuable, more long lasting than the gift of salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, the Colossians have it, but they got these false teachers that are cruising in and trying to cheat them, deceive them, put some stuff on them. Today, we'll look at one of the things they were being kind of, you know, put under was it was some Jewish law. The most of the Colossians that came to faith were Gentiles. And Gentiles didn't get circumcised. Circumcision was given to the Jews. So even though they were having the faith in Christ, they had people coming by saying, you guys, you really gain more favor with God. It'd It'd be, your walk with God would be better if you were to be circumcised like we had to do. And they had other laws and other rules that they were trying to put on them. And so Paul is saying, no, don't let anybody cheat you out of what Christ has done. We understand the work that Jesus has done is complete. Amen. You can't add to it. You shouldn't let anyone subtract or take away from it. Everything you need to be saved, Jesus did it all. In his death, burial, and resurrection, he did the full, he did everything. You can't add anything to it. Anything we do as believers is in response to the gospel. Amen? Anything we do in service, in sacrifice, in dying to self, it's in response to what Christ has done for us already. You can't do anything to make God love you any more than he already does. Y'all know that? God already loves you at the max level that he can love you. He loved you so much he died for you, right? When you were yet a sinner, when you didn't even like God, when you weren't even thinking about God, when y'all was in the club doing you, God loved you and died for you then. Some of y'all remember that, right? For some of y'all, that was last night. He still loves you. You need to stop it though, right? But you can't make him love you more. The blessing in that is this. If God loved me that much when I was yet a sinner, I can't do anything to make him love me less either. Y'all know that I can't do anything to the love of God. Other than this, I can respond to the love of God. And that's what really God calls us to. You can't make him love you more. It's grace. Just he, he just lavishes upon you because that's who he is, but we can respond to the grace of God. We can respond to the, the love of God in a way that's obedient and glorifies him. So with that intro, Look at verse eleven with me. I guess before we get to the intro. So the four verses you want to write down or just have in your mind uh, from last week. In verse four, he said he wrote these things, lest anyone should deceive you. In verse eight, he said, Lest least anyone cheat you. Today in verse sixteen, he'll say, Let no one judge you. And in verse eighteen, again, let no one cheat you. Paul is trying to keep them from getting ripped off all that God has made available. And so look at verse eleven now. He says, In him. And if you remember, we ended at verse 10. So the him is Jesus, right? He says, we are complete in him. We're complete in Jesus, who is the the head of all principality and power. So in verse 11, when it says in him, speaking about Jesus Christ, in him, you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So this would have been good news to the the believers in Colossae that were being told that you guys should also be circumcised. When Paul comes and says, you've already been circumcised with the one that counts, right? And notice what he says. He says, you were also circumcised with the circumcision, not made with hands, not the physical act of circumcision, but the spiritual circumcision, the, the one that God does by the putting off the body of sins of the flesh, the circumcision of Christ. And so, this is what Jewish people back then would really have struggled with is in their Jewish customs and their Jewish religions. They had practices. They had feasts. They had many things that God gave the Jews that were intended to point them to Jesus. The problem was that once Jesus came, right, they wouldn't receive Jesus. They were still looking at the thing that he gave them to point to Jesus. So Jesus gave some feast. And some of the feasts were to celebrate God. You know, he he passed over what he was going to do. And then Jesus shows up and and they're like, no, we're still going to do the, the feast is the thing. And they weren't receiving the reality who was Christ. We're going to see today that Jesus says that let no one judge you in regard to Sabbath. What does what the Old Testament people need to do on the Sabbath day? What was it? was They were supposed to rest, right? And it required faith, right? Because if you work six days and you don't work the seventh day, you don't make money on the seventh day. So it required faith to say, I'm going to rest on the seventh day because God says I should rest. I should take one day and, and do nothing and devote it to the Lord and worship Him. And so they were very religious about the Sabbath day was a day of rest. Now we come to the New Testament. Do we still observe a Sabbath in the way that they did then? No, because he's going to tell us today the Sabbath was a picture, right? It was intended to point you to Jesus because now, just like they were doing all these works to try to gain favor with God and they couldn't do it. They couldn't, you couldn't keep enough laws to be right with God. Jesus says, look, the Sabbath rest, I'm your Sabbath. Now you're resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So, your rest of your labors, you can't work hard enough to be saved. And, and now we're supposed to enter into that. And you got people saying, I still like the shadow. I want you to have to do the Sabbath on a certain day. So, we'll, we'll come to that when we get there. But here with circumcision first, he says, You've already been circumcised, right? The circumcision that counts. Never mind what happens to your flesh. The Old Testament, the picture of circumcision was the idea was a cutting away of the filth of the flesh. So, when we come to Christ, And he washes away our sins. He has literally circumcised. He's cut away the filth of our flesh, right? Can you do that for yourself? You cannot. I cannot. Jesus does it for us. So when you get, when you put your faith in Jesus and God, I believe you died on the cross for my sins that you rose from the grave. There's no way for me to be saved except faith in you and what you did for me in in, and you trusting in the finished work of Jesus. God in return says, I wash away all your sins. I cut away the flesh. I cut away the filth. I know what I am. God says, but spiritually it's gone. It's cut away. If you die today, you believe in Jesus. When you stand before God, you might sin. You might've sinned this morning on your way here in the car. God knows, right? But if you die today, you stand before God, there's, there's no sin there. It's been cut away. It's been washed away in the blood of Jesus. We can be so grateful for the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so he says, look, I've done the important circumcision, that picture in the old Testament, I brought the reality in the new Testament. I cut away the filth of the flesh. You can't do it. Jesus did it when you put your faith in him. So he deals with the first thing that they were tripping him up over circumcision. So we move on from there. Look at verse 12. Now it says buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So, Something I was picking up on as I was reading through this over and over again was the how so much of this chapter is telling me what I, what's in him. It's, it's all putting me with Jesus. And so in the chapter 2, verse 10, I was complete in him. Now in verse 11, in him I've been circumcised. Everything good spiritually happens in Christ. So here's a reality that y'all need to tap into. If you're not in Christ, none of this applies to you. Right, if you're not in Christ, if your faith is not in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, then you're in your sin. The filth of your flesh is still with you. If you died and stood before God, you would not stand. So, anybody that's here, present, watching, listening, if that's not something that you're confident is dealt with in your life, I need you to hear this as an invitation to you, right? This is God saying, hey, I'm telling you the roadmap. I'm telling you that I will forgive you. I've already done the work to forgive you. Will you believe? Will you, will you believe Will you? Will you receive what I have done for you? And so it's so important. It's the most important thing any of us will ever do in this life is to give our life to Christ, surrender to him by faith. And so again, he says in him, you were circumcised. Then it says in verse 12, we were buried with him in baptism. How many of you guys have been water baptized by show of hands? All right. All right. All right. All right. So in water, baptism is symbolic, right? As you go down into the water, it's like, it's like a grave. And so when you go down into the water, baptism is saying, "Look, I'm dying." I'm dying to myself. I'm dying to everything of me that's not like Jesus. I'm dying to the old nature, the old man, the old person. I'm being buried with Christ in baptism. When you come up out of the waters of baptism, it's symbolic of the resurrection. Now you've been raised to new life in him. The same way that Jesus came out of the grave in new power and he lived from that point on to live forever. As you come out of the waters of baptism, the commitment is and the symbolism is I've died with Christ. Now I've raised with Christ that I'm going to be with Christ for all eternity. And so if you are a Christian and you've not yet been water baptized, you can let us know. We will do baptisms as often as necessary. So we had one recently, but if you're here and you're like, Hey, I need to be water baptized just to see me, see Pastor Anthony, see one of us, let us know. And we'll show up on a Sunday and we'll have a baptism out here and we will baptize you in the name of the father, son, and the Holy spirit. And you can also be buried with them and be raised with them. And so in baptism, we're buried with them. We're raised with him through faith, in the working of God. And then it says who raised him from the dead, which is significant as part of the gospel. The gospel has the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, right? It's not completely the gospel. If it doesn't believe that Jesus rose from the grave, here's why that's so important in Jesus raising from the grave. He demonstrated that he has power over death. He has power over the grave. And so because he has power over the grave, I can be confident that as a believer, when I die, I'm going to have, I'm going to have life again too, right? For a believer, death is not the end of the story. Death is how we enter into eternity. Death is how I get to heaven. And so, but that's only true for you as a believer. And so we've been baptized. We've been buried with them through his resurrection. We've been raised with him through our faith and his work. And the work is the belief in the resurrection. Look at verse 13. It says, and you are. Being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. I want you to note this. He says, he gives the condition of all nonbelievers. He says, you, speaking of all, all people that are not saved yet, you also, I'm sorry, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So Before you get saved, even though you're physically alive, spiritually he says you're dead. You're dead in your trespasses. You're dead in your sins. It says in Ephesians, you can be physically alive, but spiritually dead. And then it says what God does for us, right? So my condition, spiritually dead, but then what God does for us, it says he has made us alive together. Again, it's with him. So God gives spiritual life to us. So we were spiritually dead. If you put your faith in Christ, now you are spiritually alive. So it is possible to be physically alive but spiritually dead. And so to the person that's spiritually dead, they need to be born again, that they can have spiritual life. It also comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If you get something from the message today, everything you need comes through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection, everything you need in every situation, every day for the rest of eternity is gonna come from your faith in the finished work of Jesus, that he died for your sins, that he was buried And that three days later, he rose from the grave, conquering sin, death, and Satan for you and for me. And so moving on here, Paul is letting us know, why is Paul going so heavy on what God has done for us? I believe he wants the Colossians and us to know it wasn't something you did. It was something God did for you. So because they're being tempted to to add something to it, you got to do this. You got to add to what God did. But I want you to understand how it would be a slap in the face To God, if there was something you could add to what Jesus did, right? So let's say I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave. And, and I believe that that's almost enough for salvation, but I got to also go get circumcised or I got to also get baptized or I got to also speak in tongues or a number of the things that people add to faith in Christ. This is what that says to God. Jesus wasn't enough, right? That's what it says. It says, Jesus, what you did was almost enough. But what you need is you need me to bring my part to the party. Y'all understand how disrespectful that is? That God sent his only begotten son, God the son, left heaven, came to earth, humbled himself, became a man, put skin on, had a mama tell him what to do. Probably had to do chores, lived on the world he created, had people telling him what to do, people talking crazy to him. Then he went on, he died on the cross in your place, was humiliated for you and for me. And then he died, fully died. Three days later after he died, he rose from the grave and conquered sin, death, and Satan. And to look him in the face and say, that's almost enough to save me. Super disrespectful, right? So anybody that says in order to come to Christ, in order to be saved, you got to believe in Jesus and I'm not going to say smack them, but I'm going to say, I mean, give them a look that smacks them. let the, you know, just, just stop right there, right? There's nothing you can add to the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. All you can do is accept it by faith. You either accept it by faith or you reject it in sin and you'll live with the consequences of either one, but you cannot add anything to it. He did everything. And I believe Paul is going heavy on On this for them, reminding them that God did it for you. You were dead in your trespasses and and uncircumcision of your flesh, but he made you alive. You were dead. He made you alive. It's the the working, the spiritual power behind the change that happened in your life. It was done by Jesus. And so here's the cool thing with that. If you believe it right, then none of us get to be a big deal. Amen. Amen. If we all got saved by believing in the finished work of Jesus, I'm not a big deal. I'm i I'm a recipient of an awesome gift, right? But it doesn't make me special. It doesn't make me better than, it doesn't make me haughty. It doesn't make me proud. I'm humbled. I'm grateful. Lord, thank you. I'm not better than you. When I, when I go see my brother or my sister, who's not there yet, not better than them. Amen. And I think sometimes if Christians, if we get it wrong, if we think somehow we earned it, then you know how we act? We, when you think you earned something, you act like you act like you earned it. You, you turn your nose over you, you Oh, you still dressing like that? No, nah, I, I, I changed my I changed my whole life last year. Yeah. Yeah, I don't dress like that. Nah, you you still are oh, you still drinking? Oh my, my I I no. Nah. That's how people act that feel like like you did it. You take some pride in it. But when you realize that it's all a gift, there's a humility about it. I haven't had a drink, y'all, since nineteen ninety five. But you know what? That is it's the grace of God. I can never boast in that. I'm humbled by that. I'm grateful for that. I'm thankful for God helping me do what I could not do. But if I, if I get next to somebody that's I'm like, man, I, what I do know is who could help, right? I know I'm not better. Cause I was you one day. I was, I was you until God intervened and helped me. So there, there has to be a humility about how we walk this thing out. So we don't become proud. We don't become spiritually cocky. We're just grateful. I like how Greg Laurie said it. Greg Laurie said, I'm just a beggar. Trying to tell another beggar where to find food. I found him. Now I'm trying to direct you to where you can go get some too. Amen. And so if we believe it right, I think we'll live it out right. There'll be a gratefulness to believers. There'll be a humility about a sweet humility. There's nothing worse than a prideful Christian. Y'all know that? There's nothing that's more of a turn off than, than the Christian that's like, do everything right. And you don't, Mm -hmm. you know, no, it's not attractive at all. Nobody's coming to Christ because of that person. And so you don't want to be that guy, but that's what they were living with back then. This was the Jews. They were like, Oh, we, we don't eat that. Oh, we don't drink that. Oh, you're going to have bacon. Mm, We're kosher, you know, (laughs) like that was how they were getting down. And so imagine that seeping into the church worse. Imagine Christians starting to buy into it. And so you have a group of us, we're going to have a potluck and some of you guys have been enlightened with the false teaching. You're like, yeah, we're not going to be eating that. And you guys separate yourself. You know, we're going to sit over here because some of you guys over there looks like you guys are eating bacon again. So we don't eat bacon. We only eat whatever you only eat or whatever. Imagine that seeping into the church and that there be people in the church that somehow feel like I'm a little better than you or a lot better than you because of what I don't do. When in reality, if we understand the gospel right, we're all the same. We're all sinners. We're all in need of the grace of God. And we all have been recipients of God's grace. None of us are deserving of credit in any way. So we just got to be careful about these things. And so Paul is, is educating the Colossians, but these things were written for us as well. And so let's continue on. He says now in verse 14, I love this. I love verses 14 and 15. It says, this is what, Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection did to the work of the enemy. It says, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it two things. I'm going to hit verse 14 first. There was a handwriting of requirements that was against you and me, right? All of God's laws and all the God's, if you just, just take the Ten Commandments. There's way more than Ten Commandments. Y'all all know y'all guilty of breaking the commandments. Amen? How many of us have ever told a lie before? If you don't raise it up quick, you're lying right now, okay? So, you could do a real quick, you know, law test and we'd all fail real quick. You know, how many of you have stolen something before? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> just, just keep them down, right? Just... We've broken laws, and so the Bible says if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. We're all guilty, right? The law holds us guilty. It's it's against me. But it says here that he took the handwriting of requirements that was against us, and this is what Jesus did to it. He nailed it to the tree. He nailed it to the tree. Now, if this would have meant something to them back then in Roman culture, right? If you had a debt that, that you had to pay when you finally paid your debt, they would nail it up as a symbol that you no longer were in debt here. When he said that Jesus took all the things that were against me and you, and because of our faith in him, he nailed it to the tree. It was on the cross that he said, that's paid. And it's public. Put it up publicly. Everybody can see your debt, my debt. My debt. Our sin debt is paid. This is the most important debt, right? It's the one debt we can never pay. Some of y'all are here today and you have debts. Now, maybe by the grace of God, you'll be able to pay off those debts. Some of you are like, I'm never going to be able to pay off my debts. Some of y'all praying for the rapture so you can get out of your debts, right? But there's some debts on earth you may or may not be able to pay them. You know, I pray you can take care of your debts, right? But the debt that you can never pay is your sin debt. You can never pay it. The wages of sin is what? Death. So that's, I don't want to pay that debt. So Jesus paid it for me and he paid it in full and he nailed it to the tree. I go free. You go free. Our debt has been paid. I want you to think about that, right? Just the the enormity of your sin debt and the fact that Jesus says, I paid it in full and I put it up publicly. I did a public thing for you. When I died on the cross in public, that was me taking the handwriting of requirements against you and I nailed them to the cross. And so everybody knows your debt's paid. You know, God knows the unseen. We're going to see a moment, the principality of the power they know. So they the handwriting is a requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Then look at verse 15. It says having disarmed. So he's taken away power from these entities, having disarmed principalities and powers that this is the the unseen demonic realm, right? Y- y'all know that we have spiritual enemies and adversaries in the unseen realm. Jesus says, "Look, through the cross, I disarmed your enemies. I took their weapons away from them, right? They don't have, they got nothing for you now. When you were not a believer, Satan and his demons they got free access to a non-believer. You have no covering or no protection as a non-believer. The Bible says that if you're not a child of God, you're a child of who? You're a child of the devil, Satan is your daddy, he got full access to you. When you come to faith in Christ, God said, now you become mine. And I've disarmed your enemies. They hate you, they're coming for you, they wish they could, but I've disarmed them. So we need to understand that because some people so elevate demonic, oh, the devil getting busy with me. Let me just say this, in all humility, I'm going to say this to y'all. There's one devil and many demons, right? The devil probably is not worried about in us, you know, he's only one of him. So I'm, I'm guessing that he has bigger fish to fry than us, right? There is a demonic realm. There is spiritual warfare. There is demonic attack, and we'll experience that as we press into what God has. But no, you should remember this: that what Jesus says concerning your salvation, concerning your relationship with God, God said, "Look, I just." Jesus said, "I disarmed them." I need to be confident that Satan can't do anything in my life that God doesn't permit, right? In order for Satan to do something, the enemy to do something in my life, it's got to be something God says, I'm going to let that go by.
0: We're so glad you've joined us today here on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. As the Apostle Paul urged the members of the Colossian Church to remember fully that they were saved by the blood of Jesus and that their lives should reflect that. The same goes for you and me. If we have said that we believe in Jesus and what He did for us, then there is a practical side to living out our faith. We have the opportunity to set an example through our obedience to Him. In other words, are you letting God lead you every day? Are you giving up control on how your life should be in your home, in your workplace, in the world? Friends, through this yielding, there will spring a deeper desire for more of Jesus. And our prayer is that your relationship with Him will grow every day. Care to know how? You'll find all the information you need on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Just click on the Know Jesus tab. Here it is again, calvaryinglewood.org. For more personal contact, feel free to call or text us at 310-245-4811. We would love to encourage you more in your daily walk with Jesus. So please, pick up that phone, And dial 310-245-4811. A Transforming Word is a ministry from Calvary Chapel, Inglewood, out of Inglewood, California. This concludes the time we have for today. But we're so grateful you took the time to listen to this issue with Pastor Bill. We'll be back again to share with you more on A Transforming Word.